Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, 63% of Californians overall are now partially vaccinated against COVID-19. But in many parts of the state, health officials have struggled to convince those who are reluctant. And they're not all conservative Republicans. In this hour, we look at vaccine uptake in Fresno County, which lags behind the state with just over half of residents there receiving at least one shot. We'll learn why and how that's changing. Stay with us after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. While political affiliation is a major factor in who gets the COVID-19 vaccine, a recent Monmouth poll found 70% of Republican respondents were unlikely to get it compared with 6% of Democratic ones. It is not the main driver for everyone. In this hour, we look at what's been preventing some Californians from getting vaccinated and the best ways to address vaccine reluctance with a look at Fresno County. There, less than 45% of residents are fully vaccinated, well below the state average, but Fresno's vaccine rates are also higher than its Central Valley neighbors. Joining me first is Fresno resident and bilingual teacher Celia Maldonado. Celia Maldonado, welcome to Forum. Hi, good morning. Thanks for being here. And I understand that you did ultimately recently decide to get the vaccine. But before that, when you were more reluctant to do it, you did think a lot about it, even going so far as to set up appointments ahead of time. Yeah, so I actually canceled <laughs> about three um, appointments before actually getting the the vaccine. So I was very hesitant and um, just worried and concerned about the vaccine. Yes, what were some of your specific concerns? What was stopping you from following through with the appointments? Um, so one of my main concerns was the possible side effects, um, of the vaccine in the long run. Mm. So not, you know, not the, the fever after you get it or the sore arm, but more of, you know, like what could happen 
in the future, in two years, in three years, and, you know, more of the long-term side effects, if any. It was just like that, that concern. And also just um, the FDA approval authorization, I always forget the, the correct term, um, was something that, that um, sort of fueled my hesitancy. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel like your concerns were being addressed by information from health officials or, or being seen in the media? You know, I, I don't think they were. No, I um, actually just felt very, um, I guess, put off by, by what was saying in the media. What, by what was being said in the media of, you know, I, I, um, what I, a lot of what I heard is like uninformed people or, um, basically like, um, people of color or da da da, they're the ones who aren't getting vaccinated. And I'm like, yes, I'm a person of color, but I'm not uninformed. Like I know I, I read a lot and I do a lot of research and I listen to all, um, you um, from different different sources, and I feel like I'm just not getting the response I'm getting. Like I'm getting videos of like, "Hey, go and get your vaccination because it's good," but I was not getting that answer of like what can happen. And I know it's because there's there's not a lot of information on it, but it would have helped if I would have just like had that conversation with I don't know somebody that I consider knowledgeable. Yeah, what eventually made you change your mind? Um, what changed my mind? Um, I guess there were a lot of factors. Um, one of them being, we went to Mexico in June to get married. Um, my oh, husband and I. Yes. No, thank you. And our family. And my husband came back before I did. And he ended up um, being infected by COVID. Hmm. And he was, yeah, he. Um, it, we figured he got it um, at the airport because, like, he was the only one who got it, and it was like a week after he had been back from Mexico, so um, we know it wasn't there. Um, so anyhow, just having him being sick, and he would, I mean, mind you, it was just like, you know, it was a fever, and he, he did fine from it. Like, there were no major um, issues with it. However, it did got me thinking about certain things, you know, like, one, what if he had gotten somebody sick who didn't have a possibility to have a vaccine? Um, I had also been in a friend's home in Mexico, and I learned that my best, one of my best friend's um, boyfriend had an underlying disease, and I would have never known because he's, he's, he's young, he is healthy, like he eats well, he's not a big drinker, like, he's a healthy guy, and then I, I felt this guilt, you know, I, here I am in Mexico, I, <laughs> I could have had the vaccine, they assumed I had the vaccine, and here I am stepping into their home, and what if I had gotten someone sick, so just, like, having that close, uh, that close experience with COVID, and having that experience of being in Mexico, I chose not to be vaccinated. I stepped into this person's home. Um, so it just like sort of triggered different things inside of me. Hmm. And add to that, what, you know, one thing that takes is like the social pressure was even more on us as a couple. As, you know, like why haven't you been vaccinated? Or So it was just like, for me, it got 
hiring, like trying to explain, like, this is my concern. I'm concerned about my health in the future and da, 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 da. And, but, you know, ultimately I just like put it on the table and said, like, listen, yes, I, I don't know if, an, if I'm going to have long-term side effects. Nobody knows at this point because of, um, from what I understand, um, yes. like the, 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 the information we have right now is interim. Um, versus like the anxiety I'm having and I, I've had for you in a hand trying to make this decision. Yeah. I'm sure the anxiety is affecting me so more at this point. So I just decided to go through with it. Well, Celia, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. Celia Maldonado is a bilingual teacher and resident of Fresno County. I'm joined now by KQED Central Valley reporter Alex Hall. Alex, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was your reporting that inspired today's segment. You live in Fresno (laughs) and you saw a lot of people who weren't getting vaccinated, people like Celia. So what struck you about that and some of the reasons they were telling you? Yes, uh, thank you for asking. So several months ago when the eligibility for the vaccine really opened up to most adults, this is back in April or May of this year, Um, I started hearing from a lot of people just in my own social circles here in Fresno um, who I had, you know, expected to to tell me that they were going to get vaccinated, um, saying that they weren't going to. Um, And I was really uh, surprised by that, not only because, um, you know, the fact that they had chosen not to or weren't planning to, but also because I wasn't really hearing uh, many people talk about it um, Mm. among, you know, just the national conversation that we were having at the time. It seemed like. The narrative was, you know, if you're not getting vaccinated, you are conservative, you're a Trump supporter, you're uninformed, uneducated. You know, if we can just, you know, partner with NASCAR and, you know, have, uh, you know, Willie Nelson come on camera and say that he got the vaccine and that it's safe, you know, everyone else will get vaccinated who hasn't already. Or, you know, if you're a person of color, you know, you're a member of this demographic or that demographic, you've been swindled by misinformation and conspiracy theories. If we can just get someone who looks like you to tell you that it's safe, then you'll get it. And meanwhile, you know, as I'm having these conversations with people, you know, as a part of this reporting, but also just in my own personal life, the concerns that I was hearing from people didn't line up with that. Um, In fact, I didn't hear one person say that they were motivated by political ideology. Um, I should say that most of the people that I talked to were on the younger side. Most of them were in their 30s, um, if not 20s or 40s. Um, But these were intelligent uh, people with legitimate concerns and questions, um, not anti-science, not anti-vaccine. In fact, most of them were Democrats or more left of that. Um, So I just thought that it was interesting, not only because of the absence of that kind of um, those kind of stories from the conversation that we were having at the time, but also the fact that a lot of the suggestions for how we should address vaccine hesitancy were, you know, we've got to get these trusted messengers, right, to target demographics as if each demographic is a monolith. And for the people that I was talking to, seeing someone who looked like them telling them that the vaccine was safe wasn't going to do it. Um, You know, it was going to be answering their questions. It was really more time so that they could see other people had gotten vaccinated and they were fine. Fast forward several months later, where we are now, you've got this added layer of social pressure, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. 
um, you know, those who are smart and believe in science and care about society and those who maybe don't, it's questionable. And as that has evolved, it seems like some people like Celia have changed their minds and decided to get the vaccine, but others have not. Interesting. Fresno, it's situated in the Central Valley, which has been lagging behind the state in vaccine uptake, but has done better with vaccination numbers than some of its Central Valley neighbors. So I am kind of curious about the the dynamics that you see at play, the social tensions you see at play in Fresno. Yeah, I mean, um, I will say it's different just during the pandemic compared to now with the topic being, you know, mainly vaccination. Um, I think that there, the social dynamics in the Central Valley were definitely different than in the Bay Area. You know, the limited number of times that I did travel to the Bay Area, Bay Area or, you know, the coastal areas during the pandemic, I noticed that, um, you know, people were much more, there was conformity about how serious we're taking this. And I don't want to say that, you know, in the Central Valley, people don't take COVID serious. That's not true. Um, but it did feel a little bit more loose, like there was a diversity of, you know, how we're responding to this. Um, you know, for example, um, I would talk to friends or just colleagues in the Bay Area who would, you know, talk about how they haven't left their house and, you know, however many months. And I mean, I people I, you know, I know I'm aware of, you know, parties that were still happening in Central Valley. Um pretty often. And, you know, even just going to the Bay Area scene, everybody wear a mask all of the time. Whereas here, you know, you go to a bar and if it's optional and no one's wearing a mask, yeah, you can wear a mask. But that kind of group think definitely, I think, um, had an impact on people. We're talking with Alex Hall, Central Valley reporter at KQED. We're talking about Fresno County and vaccine uptake there and taking a deeper dive into what's working. You can join the conversation by calling us at 866-733-6786. We're curious, are you reluctant to get the shot or have you recently changed your mind and gotten vaccinated? You can email us, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're looking at what prevent pe- what prevents people from getting vaccinated and what we're learning about the best ways to address those concerns by looking at Fresno County, where 44% of residents are fully vaccinated there. We're joined by Alex Hall, Central Valley reporter for KQED. And joining us now is Joe Prado, Community Health Division Manager for Fresno County. Joe Prado, good to have you on with us. Good morning. Thank you so much for the invitation today. And Joe Prado, I wanted to ask you, you probably heard a little bit about uh, what Celia was saying with regards to reasons that she had been reluctant initially to get the vaccine, mainly that she just wasn't sure about long-term effects of the vaccine and that unknown was more fearful to her uh, at that point than than getting getting COVID-19. You have been conducting surveys, your organization has been conducting surveys, gauging vaccine hesitancy where it's at and some of the reasons. What other reasons have you found that we haven't discussed yet? Yeah, and I really appreciate Celia um, sharing her story. It's great insight into what our community is kind of feeling and experiencing right now as everyone is making that decision on whether or not to be vaccinated. Um, And so, you know, what we're seeing in our vaccine survey, and so we did ours um, back in January and March um, of this year, um, and really wanted to evaluate 
what was what was the community thinking? And very heavy in the early months on safety, efficacy, um, comments of the vaccine being made too quickly, um, long-term effects. What, what will be the long-term effects? You know, as we fast forward um, from January into August, yeah, right now we don't know what those long-term effects are. But what we do know today is that the vaccine is working. The vaccine is helping uh, us to really flatten the curve as, as much as we can during um, during these months here. And then, uh, you know, the vaccine, um, the safety, the efficacy, we still hear that today. And so um, mm. th that is something that we're kind of seeing consistently throughout the community of whether or not, um, whether or not the, the, the safety of the vaccine. And then also what we're also seeing now as we dive into the younger population um, type of data is, you know, the the sense of that my immune system can um, can handle COVID, that I am a healthy individual, do I really need um, this vaccine? And so th that is something that we, we definitely are seeing a little bit more of, but we're also seeing this younger population get infected at a higher rate than the other um, the other parts of our population that are have a higher rate of vaccination. So you are definitely seeing COVID make its, um, its pivot, its change in our community. And um, really, we'll stay close to what the, um, our survey is kind of un unveiling. But overall, there, there still is a sentiment of safety and efficacy with the vaccine. Yes. One of the things you've cited that I hadn't really thought much about before till I, I saw that you were citing this was that how people have engaged with the healthcare system, their habits around how they use it can also be a contributor to people not seeking out the vaccine, that they tend to use it for major illnesses rather than, say, preventative care. Yeah, definitely. And so th this is a term that we call um, that nationwide it's called reference as health literacy. Um, how, uh, when do uh, when do we access the healthcare system? Is it um, do we really need to access the doctor if I feel healthy? And the answer from our public health officials and everyone around the nation is yes, preventative care is important. So it is good to get a physical. It is good to have a checkup to make sure everything is okay in your system here. But not that is not the overwhelming majority of our community in Fresno County. Overall, overwhelming um, majority of our community is, mm, I really don't need to go to the doctor unless I'm sick. And there's that part of the community, they'll go see their normal doctor. Then there's part of our community that says, I really don't need to go to the doctor if I'm sick, but if I'm really sick, I'm gonna go to the emergency room. And that is a part of health literacy that we need to do better as a community, us in our department as well, at really educating health literacy of like, when is it a good time to, to visit the doctor? What are those resources and what is that system that is there um, really um, willing and ready to help you? You also said that uh, people were talking about how they thought their immune system could handle the vaccine, uh, could handle the virus. Are you seeing the Delta variant having an effect and changing some of those calculations? Yeah, you know, there is something we put out, I want to say about a week and a half ago. It was a specific data analysis on the younger population in Fresno County. We felt that was important because um, we're fortunate that we have access into every um, hospital's emergency room data. And what we were experiencing and observing there is that there had been a complete change in demographics. We evaluated the 64, 65 and over population from January and to today. And how, how has their rate of presenting in the emergency room with COVID symptoms? And we compared it to the younger populations. And back in January, uh, and if I take you back there, there wasn't a lot of vaccine available at the beginning of January for general population. 
But as we saw 65 and over prioritized in February or March, and we started seeing the vaccine taking effect, well, we started seeing in about April for the 65 and over, they started dipping lower, significantly lower in ED uh, presenting in the emergency room. But what we've seen with the younger population, 18 and younger, is as of and during the month of July, they started surpassing and presenting in the emergency department with COVID symptoms above the 65 and over population. Now that is significantly alarming because we have the 65 and over that suffered significantly during our surges during the, uh, December and January. We saw that 65 and over population had a significant amount of death, significant amount of cases and significant amount of hospitalizations. And so as we started seeing this trend here with the younger population now surpassing 65 and over, that is especially concerning to us. And so um, that's why it's so important. If you're around a child, their best protection is the people around them. And so getting vaccinated, um, getting vaccinated today, if you're around any children, is, is your decision, yes, definitely for yourself, but it also you're making that decision for that child because children under um, 11 and under aren't eligible to be vaccinated. So they have no choice um, in that matter um, at all. Um, that is a parent's choice. So that is something very important for us to think about. As a Delta variant has presented itself in Fresno County, it has pivoted and shifted into the younger population. And if we start looking at what um, the COVID virus did in the 65 and over population, as we, and, and that being an unvaccinated population in December, January, if we take that lens and apply it to the younger population, that is extremely concerning for us here at Public Health. We're talking with Joe Prado, Community Health Division Manager at Fresno County. Also with us is Alex Hall, Central Valley reporter for KQED. And you, our listeners, are with us if you want to join the conversation about vaccine reluctance, your observations or experiences. Let me go to caller Tom in Oakland. Hi, Tom. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Go right ahead. So, yeah, the, the, reason, the reason that I'm calling is my daughter, who is 37 years old and very educated, um, teaches in a college, a couple colleges, um, not, uh, she is certainly left of center in terms of her politics. She was very vaccine hesitant for a variety of reasons. Uh, one, that she's trying to get pregnant. But uh, mm. anyway, about um, a month and a half ago, she came down with COVID-19. Uh, she was pretty sick for about two weeks. Um, Saver, you know, 103 most of the time. Um, and, and when she recovered from that, she went and got her first vaccination. And then she's got her second. And now she's out there promoting to anybody who will listen that, hey, it's no joke. It's safe. Do it. Hmm. Well, Tom, yeah, thank you for sharing that story. And Alex Hall, I'm wondering if among you were talking about basically 20 to 40 year olds were who you were speaking with was, you know, pregnancy, having uh, having children, one of the things that was causing people to be hesitant. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Celia was uh, the first person I talked to about that. Um, you know, as she mentioned, her and her um, now husband were engaged and um, they're planning to start a family soon. Right. And she was telling me, you know, yeah, I'm worried about this and not necessarily from a conspiracy theorist, you know, worried about infertility or that the vaccine causes infertility. 
but that she was getting inconsistent advice. You know, she obviously asks, she talks to a lot of people, does her research, wants to figure out, you know, all the details. And she was hearing inconsistent advice from, you know, her um, her own uh, physician and other uh, medical professionals that she was consulting. I've heard that from a lot of people. Um, and I also, another thing that the um, caller brought up that that is interesting is I've noticed that um, with Celia and also other people I've talked to who have changed their minds, seeing someone else who is young get sick, seriously ill, when previously you hadn't really had a real life experience or exposure to that, um, has factored into people um, changing their minds. Yeah. Joe Prado, we're talking a little bit about some inconsistent information, maybe from even health providers, but I'm curious what role social media has played in challenging your efforts to get people vaccinated. Yeah, I, I think every week we have a social media post we need to like um, counteract and get the get the information out. And that is, I tell you, social media has really changed the landscape of getting public health messaging out. And, and that um, that means that public health needs to be in those social media platforms, you know, um, tenfold. And that is a, that is definitely a, a challenge um, um, working with the social media platforms to be able to get that messaging out. But there is just so much information coming at us at, at, at just at a very rapid pace. And so that I think always presents its challenges. And so that's why I, I really um, look to every community to look towards their local health department to those local resources as well, and really trusted sources like the CDC and the California Department of Public Health to really dive into um, the research that's been done, the study, the efficacy studies to really be able to do that. And then also um, to help battle that in the comments with a with medical provider, um, we have a weekly medical provider call for Fresno County physicians with our health officer to really try to keep all the medical providers up to date on all the information because there is so much out there. We, we try to glean through those and make sure that our, our local physicians have that, that information. But that social media information is definitely a challenge for us to always try to um, really counteract some of the misinformation out there. Well, Jesse writes, I'm HIV positive and I was hesitant to get the vaccine when it was announced that it received emergency approval. But when I spoke to my doctor, he said that he was 100% for taking the vaccine. He said he wished that other vaccines were able to get such a great breakthrough for other diseases. I got vaccinated in the second group when the vaccines were released to the public. If you want to join the conversation with your questions, experiences, or wanting to know um, how to talk to people who are hesitant, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. I want to bring into the conversation Dr. Rishi Goyle, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Columbia University Medical Center. Dr. Goyle, thanks so much for being on with us. Thanks, Mina. Thanks for having me here. We're just talking about communication and vaccine communication. And I was struck by something that Joe Prado was saying. You have noted that, you know, the phenomenon of vaccine reluctance or hesitancy or concern has been around for hundreds of years. But how different are the challenges now, especially with social media, which is something that you focus on quite a bit? Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me and with these wonderful guests. Um, you know, one thing that I was struck by just listening to both Celia's story and Tom's story is that what we're seeing is that we think we know who the vaccine hesitant are, but often what we're doing is sort of patronizing them, labeling them, and belittling people who have genuine concerns. 
one thing that we found with social media is it's given us an opportunity to really see the gamut of emotions, experiences, different ideas that people are having. Vaccine hesitancy, like um, Alex said, is not one thing. It's not monolithic. It's not defined simply by your race, class, or gender, but in fact expresses a whole host of different uh, and differing positions on ideas from religion to um, medical freedom to your questions around misinformation and safety. Uh, you know, if I think if we had seen vaccine hesitancy and we'd been talking about this two years ago, which we were, uh, it was a very different landscape, right? It was dominated by parents. It was dominated by concerns around autism, um, which are, you know, there is no link between autism and vaccines, but uh, there, and sort of natural ingredients. Those were, I think, two or three of the most important aspects around vaccine hesitancy before COVID. But that has entirely changed in the last one year of our monitoring where new kinds of groups have sprouted up that have connected uh, vaccines to all kinds of issues like um, freedom and victimhood. Mm. You are using AI to analyze the language of vaccine skeptics on social media. I find that so interesting. What is it that you are finding that is so effective in that kind of language? Yeah, it's been so engaging to see this because, you know, our public health workers are doing incredible jobs of trying to convey complex information in short periods of time to the public. But what you notice is, unfortunately, the anti-vax comments are much more sticky. Like that's sort of a, you know, a technical term, right? Um, when you're on social media, certain kinds of posts are more alluring, they're more appealing, they're more interesting. And what we find with the anti-vax messaging is that there's quite a lot of storytelling. It's actually kind of a richer language. Um, there are more metaphors. There's a lot of parables. You know, you often get a lot of kind of biblical evangelical stories, but you get a lot of personal stories about, you know, what happened, um, you know, when I took the vaccine or when I didn't want to take the vaccine. Uh, and I think the sort of emotional kind of richer language, the, uh, there's, often the sentences are actually shorter um, in these posts. Whereas when you see our pro-vaccine messaging, which unfortunately is not as sticky, people don't spend as much time looking at those sites. They click through them very quickly. Uh, they don't necessarily even read the whole thing. The sentences are often too long. They're a little dry. There isn't actually as much metaphor. There isn't, you know, they're very information mm. heavy, but the kind of information that people already have or I think they can often be a little uh, patronizing, you know, a sort of, okay, just go get the vaccine. You know, obviously you have to do it. It's a good thing, right? And I think that doesn't address uh, kind of the way people make decisions, which is often emotional, not purely informational. Do you think public health officials underestimated the importance of a communication strategy around vaccines or maybe even the level of vaccine skepticism they might encounter? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so we started working on this project two years ago when the United States was about to lose its measles exemption status or measles eradication right. status. You know, which I thought was crazy. This is October 2019. The idea that we've basically eradicated a kind of a plague almost and we're going backwards when we have a treatment was really, really surprising to me. Uh, so, you know, a colleague of mine, Dennis Tennant, who is a former Microsoft engineer, and I said, okay, let's, let's see if we can look at this language online and, and kind of see uh, what happens when we do. 
when we talked to public health officials initially about the COVID vaccine, they said, oh, this isn't going to be a big deal. We're going to just get Brian Cranston or someone like him to do a PSA <laughs> and, every, and everyone will get vaccinated. And I remember being struck by, I was like, that's a little short-sighted, you know, considering how much science, money, and effort was put into making this wonderful set of vaccines. We're incredibly lucky to have them. But unfortunately, the same level of kind of empirical data or scientific attitude towards communication wasn't established in the public health community. And I think we have to take it really seriously that we need to apply the same level of either money and or time to communication strategies as we did to making the vaccine. We're talking with Dr. Rishi Goyal, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Columbia University Medical Center. Joe Prado is with us, Community Health Division Manager in Fresno County, and Alex Hall, Central Valley Reporter for KQED. Christina writes, I'm half vaccinated, a mother and grandmother, and a native woman of color living in San Francisco. The vaccination is scary for anyone with common sense and love of healthy life. People are not crazy to think twice about taking a vaccination, regardless of anything. We're talking about vaccine reluctance, zooming in on Fresno County and hearing from you, our listeners across the state. If you are reluctant to get a shot or recently changed your mind about it, we'd love to hear your story. Or if you have any questions about talking to people who are reluctant, give us a call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqbd.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Coming up tomorrow on Forum, President Biden announced an executive order last week that aims to make half of all new vehicles sold electric by 2030. And he's got the backing of U.S. automakers. We'll learn more about Biden's order and look at California's growing electric vehicle industry. To listen to past shows and subscribe to our podcast, visit kqed.org forum. For the latest updates on our programs and guests, find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're at KQED Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about vaccine hesitancy, looking at Fresno County, where 44% of residents are fully vaccinated. The state of California is at about 54% or so fully vaccinated, 63% partially. We're joined by Alex Hall, Central Valley reporter for KQED, Joe Prado, Community Health Division Manager at Fresno County, and Dr. Rishi Goyal, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Columbia University Medical Center, and you, our listeners, are with us. And let me go to Paul in Point Richmond. Hi, Paul. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Thanks for having me. What would you like to share, Paul? Yeah. What's your story? Um, Well, I just I I was not hesitant at first. When I when I learned about it, I definitely wanted to get the the uh, vaccine right away. However, those I know, uh, including employees of mine, were very hesitant. and their hesitancy was based upon their misinformation and the disinformation that we were getting from the social media. And not only the social media, but the CDC itself. 
because the information was changing so mm-hmm. rapidly, mm-hmm. you know, only because of the science. I mean, I understand that we don't know everything that's going on. Like they say, you know, if you're vaccinated, you can go into a place you don't need to wear a mask. If you're not vaccinated, you should wear a mask. Well, we we now know that that's not true. And I know that from personal experience because I am vaccinated and I, res- I got COVID two weeks ago from somebody else who was vaccinated. So the information that's out there is just it, it depends on how mm. deep the person wants to to sit there and 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 look at that information and, and actually um, verify it to, to to make it so that it they can make an informed decision. Paul, thanks. Joe Prado, Paul also brings up the interesting point about people who are vaccinated getting sick. I, I'm curious if there are concerns or if you're seeing concerns about getting the vaccine related to some of the attention that breakthrough uh, breakthrough illnesses are getting, breakthrough infections. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I appreciate the gentleman's comments and sharing his story. Is it really, um, because no vaccine is 100%. And so that, uh, that was part of the clinical trials and how effective they would be um, at preventing hospitalizations and, and preventing, um, preventing death. And so the vaccines are very effective at doing that. And what we're seeing locally with breakthrough cases, and that is uh, someone who is vaccinated who still gets, um, who still, uh, gets COVID. We're, um, last week, we we're, were noting about 500 cases and we have administered um, over, oh gosh, 500,000 people have um, have received um, a vaccine here in Fresno County. And so that is a small percentage, but it does happen. And so um, as we start evaluating the data though, and looking at vaccinated people presenting in, in, in hospitals, it's significantly lower. And so the vaccines are doing originally what we, what the CDC and everybody had reported on them. They are preventing hospitalizations and death and they are preventing it at a higher rate than someone who is unvaccinated. Um, and so that is always the, the thing I think we um, battle in our communication is that uh, whenever there's, um, you know, I think a lot of our public, um, when we hear a, a study, when we hear a, a medical professional um, make a statement about vaccine, we take it in the absolute measure like, okay, I will never get, um, I will never get COVID then. But, uh, you know, if we're, uh, looking at the studies, it was 90 to 95% um, lo- looking at that. So there's, mm-hmm. um, there, there is some pieces in there. We forget about that other percentage. And right now, what we see in Fresno County, that 500 breakthrough cases out of 500,000 people, it is living within um, that original um, study amount. Well, Carl writes, when you cite vaccination rates in populations, can you please specify whether that includes children under 12 who cannot be vaccinated yet or just the population that is eligible to be vaccinated? Uh, Carl, I can tell you in our case, our number is based on um, the the total being the percentage of eligible residents. So for example, our 45% number is the population total based on the percentage of people eligible. Um, And is that the same for you, Joe Prado? You're talking about people who are 12 and over, right? Who are eligible coming up with your stats. Um, Alyssa writes, thanks to Celia for doing the right thing and getting vaccinated. But please KQED, don't let this notion of so-called long-term effects stand unchallenged. This is misinformation, plain and simple. Any long-term effects of an RNA vaccine would have been seen in several months. RNA vaccines do not have long-term effects other than protecting you from COVID. Uh, Dr. Goyle, is is Alyssa right here? I mean, I you know I don't want to dis- disagree with that exactly, but I do think that we are going to find more information as time goes on. But mostly because we ha- administered so many 
millions of doses, uh, we found very, very few effects uh, with those two, with the Moderna and the Pfizer. So I think that's basically right, but I think it's also reasonable to be open to the possibility that other things could come up. And I think this makes the public health strategy also a little tricky, right? Like if you're anti-vax online, you can say things in absolute terms really easily without any kind of repercussions. Whereas public health officials, physicians, always are a little bit more cautious, unfortunately, in what we say, because there is an element of the unknown out there. Well, let me go to caller Mary in Campbell next. Hi, Mary. Join us. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm just, basically, I'm very pro-vax, and I'm medically uh, complex in the sense that I have two forms of tinnitus. I have Mm. regular tinnitus, and I have pulsatile tinnitus which is pretty unbearable. Uh, You know, you're constantly hearing this, you know, various sounds in your head all the time when you're awake. And one of them is the sound of the heartbeat and all of that. And, you know, every time I come to the sign off on the possible side effect of, you know, racing heart, pounding heart, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just can't get past that. And then, you know, there are people that are on the internet that do also have the same condition and they have had a worsening of their condition. Mm. And so I feel that there are side effects that are not being discussed, understandably, um, you know, because a lot is yet to be known, but it's dramatically altered my life. I live like a monk, as I said, I take extreme precautions. And I really haven't, you know, I'm I'm not seeing people, Uh, you know, if I see them, I wear an N95, and I'm outside at a distance. So you know, not everybody who who is not taking the vaccination, you know, has unreasonable thoughts. Well, Mary, I appreciate you sharing your story. And I would like to go back to you, Dr. Goyle, if I could, because as an emergency room doc, do you encounter you know, situations like Mary's? How, what have you found to be effective in terms of figuring out what makes the most sense for your patients? Yeah, I think... Mary, thank you for sharing that. And I I think it's absolutely imperative that we kind of respect those concerns. First off, the the first phase here uh, in any kind of um, ability to help behavior change is for us to listen and understand and really to empathize with patients and their concerns. Tinnitus can be kind of life altering, as Mary has mentioned, Um, you know, just not allowing her to kind of live her life to her fullest. But one thing I would sort of say in this circumstance is I've definitely seen more than one patient that had um, COVID-related tinnitus and vestibular neuritis, so effects on their um, inner ear, middle ear, causing extreme and um, kind of uh, unceasing vertigo and tinnitus. So, and I think the rates of getting those symptoms from a COVID infection are likely much higher than they would be from the vaccine itself. So unfortunately, there's a trade-off here about risks and benefits. And I think that's what we keep trying to stress, that the risks from COVID are just orders of magnitude higher than the risks from the vaccine. Mm. Well, Julie writes, when my family members got vaccinated, we had to go online and seek out appointments. A lot of people got left out that way. I wonder if a good way to get more people vaccinated would be to open more drop-in vaccination centers, heavily advertised by signage in the area, as well as online. I was a vaccine-hesitant person, mainly because of a strong distrust of medical professionals. Joe Prado, has Fresno County been able to address 
barriers to access to vaccines? Yeah, uh, I mean, Fresno County, we are at the hub of, of the state of California with access, medical access issues, um, pr even prior to COVID. So in, even during our planning phase and implementation phase, we were very strategic in where we placed um, COVID vaccines throughout metropolitan rural areas and specifically in our uh, most health burden neighborhoods and communities. Um, but just placing a clinic and doses in that area wasn't sufficient. Um, we had to then also mobilize our trusted messengers to go door to door, grocery stores, educate everybody about, guess what? You have a vaccine clinic right in your neighborhood. Here's, um, here's how to sign up. And if you can't sign up, they, were, um, they had iPads. They uh, were able to then do the registration for them. That was one piece of, as I speak to the rural areas, but then there's a digital literacy um, gap with our 65 and over and other parts of our population. But with our 65 and over population, um, we just weren't seeing the early numbers um, with them being vaccinated. And so we um, took phone numbers. We called, I think, over 10 to 15,000 people on the phone. And as we called them, we were able them to then register them. And this was before my turn had some of the, of the other features. So very early on, we had to make some adjustments to address that um, that digital literacy, but also the access issue for our rural areas. And so, and that's one thing is um, I, I've always said, if you're still responding to COVID the same way you did um, 30, 60 days, 60 days ago, you're outdated already. You're always having to recreate yourself and your response and what that community need is because it changes in each, each level of the response. Yes, and I've, I've heard you say that, right? You go back to people two, three, four times, the conversations are multiple and um, need to be cumulative, I guess, to a certain extent, which sounds great, but I imagine is also quite quite labor intensive, Joe Prado. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. And I really appreciate Dr. Goyle's um, comments on communication. And that is something where I, uh, his comments, I think is really resonating with me on the social media platform. And our community-based organizations are just, um, it is a commutative effect. You have to be prepared that one conversation isn't going to do it. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, people have to ha be given the space to process the information. And so they feel that they're not being crowded to make that decision. And so that is a, a, a balance we have to find as a public health response and also as a community response. And as we really support one another in making that decision. Again, Joe Prado is Community Health Division Manager in Fresno County. Alex Hall is Central Valley Reporter for KQED. And Dr. Rishi Goyle is Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Columbia University Medical Center. We've been mentioning Celia. Celia Maldonado is a bilingual teacher who joined us at the outset, recently vaccinated, reluctant for some time. And if you are the same, give us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at KQED. Org or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Michael in Berkeley. Hi, Michael. Hello. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. I just make a couple of quick points. One is that the uh, CDC has said that 78% of all COVID hospitalizations and deaths have been from people who are overweight, mostly obese. Also, in the United States right now, we've got, when they say it's, it's affecting certain communities worse, 50% of the African-American community is obese. 40-plus percent of the Hispanic community is obese. And 30-plus 
of the white community is obese. So instead of wearing masks, why didn't the CDC say, let's everybody try to get healthy and lose weight? Because it's not just COVID that's the problem. Being overweight is, is the cause of many, many, many diseases. Michael, and it's me, political not to say this. It's let me political. get uh, Dr. Goyle's reaction to what you're saying, Michael. So, I mean, I think, I think Michael's not wrong in the sense that obesity is an underlying risk factor. And it certainly was the case that what I was surprised by when I saw all of the early deaths in March and April in New York City, I mean, we were just, you know, flooded and inundated, if you remember from last year, was how the people weren't kind of, we didn't expect them to die. They were, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. They weren't particularly ill. They did have a little bit of, they were probably all a little bit overweight. Um, they had what we call kind of metabolic syndrome. So I think that's there. The problem with that is this is a targeted thing. We're talking about COVID here, right? Obesity absolutely is something that public health officials have been talking about for years. Um, and we've been kind of working on that. It's a very, very slow thing to help people lose weight. Uh, whereas the COVID vaccine is a completely different thing altogether because it's, you know, a single or a double shot. So it's something that we can actually do. And, but it wouldn't be wrong to say, yeah, and in conjunction with getting a COVID vaccine, uh, get healthier, um, you know, lose some weight. I started running in the last year and a half. So, you know, I understand that completely. Well, Julia writes, I just tuned in to hear the definition of health literacy, and it sounds like a major factor has been left out, which is health insurance. People don't go to see their primary care doctor because our health insurance only covers major emergencies. I find that definition of being literate kind of insulting. Maybe if we fixed the for-profit health insurance and big pharma issues, we'd see more use and trust in the system. And Joe Prado, I think this also you know, lends itself or plays a role in the fact that people use the healthcare system more when they're sick, in part out of need, out of necessity, because they just didn't have the coverage to try to to engage with the healthcare system in other ways. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is where um, there's just a significant opportunity in, in our Central Valley to really um, be able um, to continuously engage with our community about accessing those federally qualified health centers, accessing that local medical provider, and what does that office visit look like? And what do those costs look like? And can we mitigate those costs as much as possible? And that is that gets into a very long conversation. And so I think that's why it's important um, when we do start engaging in those conversations as, as we have been, is, is really that coming from that trusted messenger, that coming from that expert in the field that really knows how to navigate through the system. Because our healthcare system is difficult to navigate. And it is, um, there's, um, there's follow-ups, there's referrals, there is a just a, a plethora of other things that we really need to be able to walk alongside our community to be able to, to navigate through the system once that, um, uh, that provider is actually made available to them. Jesse writes, from the start of the pandemic, President Trump downplayed it to the American public. The Republican government leaders and representatives followed suit. Allow Although there's fear of putting a vaccine into your body, that's brand new. It seems more like a political disconnect than anything else. I guess one of the things that I'm curious about, Dr. Goyle, is whether or not you feel like there's growing social acceptance of not doing vaccines, in part because you were talking about the measles outbreak earlier that preceded uh, the pandemic, and whether or not it's Trump, the question really I just have generally is if you've seen a trend right now that you feel like is concerning to you with regard to um, normalization of, of, you know, vaccine rejection. 
Yeah. You know, I, I don't think so. I don't think I'm sort of demoralized by what's going on. I think we have a huge opportunity. And I think the large the large group of people that are still unvaccinated are open to getting vaccines. I, mean, I think the there's a very, very small minority, maybe two, three percent that are completely going to reject vaccines that are anti-vax that are going to use the vaccine movement to further other causes, um, whether that's kind of a kind of political libertarianism, whether that's something uh, kind of right wing, whether it's a conspiracy theory, that's all kind of co-opting the particular dialogue around vaccines. But I think the majority of people that are unvaccinated, we can move the needle on. And I think that's, that's what I'm most hopeful about. And I think the key is going to be to do it in a kind of multi-pronged approach. Well, AJ writes, I completely understand your first caller's concern about future side effects of the vaccine. I did a lot of research and relied on primary sources and decided the vaccine was safe and effective. So my whole family is now vaccinated. We are incredibly lucky to have all those years of vaccine development at this point in time to take advantage of. Well, Dr. Goyle, Joe Prado, Alex Hall, really appreciate having all of you on today. And also, I want to thank Nina Sparling and Judy Campbell for producing today's segment. My thanks to listeners for sharing their experiences, their thoughts, and their questions. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.